Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gostovsky here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Good. We're going to talk about a bunch of movies that you can catch in the cinemas. And uh, we're going to start off with one that I think you guys have heard about because um, it's up for a lot of awards at the Canadian Screen Awards. And uh, it made a splash at last year's TIFF, Toronto International Film Festival. A lot, got a lot of um, attention, a lot of awards. Uh, the Toronto Film Critics uh, have nominated it as um, Best feature yeah best what myth. i think the best one of the top three um canadian features that's best right features, so that's right so and uh, for the canadian screen awards which is like uh canadian oscars basically it has been nominated for 11 of those so it's this one's a heavy hitter it's uh it's an amazing film and it is going to be in theaters on february 25th it's called scarborough scarborough for those of you who may not be in Canada or are, uh, you know, are not part of the, the greater Toronto area is in the eastern part. It's an eastern um, section of Toronto. So the film is based on uh, a best-selling novel. It was one of the Canada Reads novels that was selected. And uh, it, the novel is by Catherine Hernandez. And basically the film is about three kids who are you know, living in a low-income neighborhood. And it's sort of coming of age. And it's also like a, a really interesting portrait of a community. I really appreciated uh, the way that uh, the filmmakers incorporated like a lot of different people. We have you know, the main characters, the, the kids and uh, their families, but also everything is centered in this uh, uh, community literacy center where they all sort of go and then that's where they meet but also when they're around in the community like in their basic daily 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 travels so to speak um, there's a lot of different people that are like the regular people that they know in their community in the community right and so it's it's kind of a portrait of a community but it's also very much um, a film about about community, about um, the struggles of low-income people, especially and especially how um, the system is failing, uh, especially these kids, you know, through that literacy center and uh, that worker, Ms. Hina, how, how she's struggling, you know, because the needs of the community are greater than what she can provide. And the needs of these kids, like she's right there face to face with them, the needs of these kids, but, you know, she's got she's going to answer to her bosses who are saying, well, no, we don't do that. We don't, you know, and yet we see firsthand and we experience it. And that that's what I, I really love about the film. And I think it's really, really strong in this way is that it's, it uses a lot of close up and close ups. And in using those close ups, it gets us really into the into the thick of things. You know, it creates this sort of intimate world. Um that I'm not, I'm not saying it's like an other world. It's not a world of others. It's a world like it's 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 like it uses the the community as a microcosm of you know to, to give us a sense of larger, deeper issues. But we really get close to these kids, and uh, 
also through the use of close-ups. It really comes from their point of view, a lot of the film. And, and that I found really, really, uh, like a really strong aspect of the film that, that we could get so, so it, I could get so into it, you know, that I could get into their point of view. I could see the world from their point of view, from their parents' point of view. Um, and uh, just, I, that, I found that that strategy just created um, the, it just created like this sense of deeper, like deeper layers. Mm-hmm, the connection. And yeah, the, yeah, there's a, a lot of a connection here. Um, anyway, so yeah, I loved the film and I, I hope everyone sees it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well for many of the um, reasons that you pointed out. And I think there's a, a, a lot of things like it's a, it's a heavy film at times, but yet it's still joyous. You still walk away with a sense of hope, which I think is really tough to, to yeah. pull off with this type of film, because, you know, you are seeing yeah. these kids trying to navigate um, the various levels of hardship. And it, one of the things that this film, I think, does really well is it shows how a lot of the systems designed to quote unquote help the community are made by people who have no real connection to the community. Um, The community seems to thrive best when people are kind of in it together. Whereas as we see with the the reading program, the teacher has a lot of problems because um, the organizers look at it more from a statistical standpoint, you know, they need to do X, Y, and Z and that's it. Right. They, they don't really care if the, children are dealing with hardships, what have you. Um, there are those within the community who you see briefly that are well off and feel that flaunting that they're well off is the best way to uplift a community opposed to actually using their dollars to help a community. And I think one of the fascinating things, and I know this has been debated a, a, a lot, but some people say that you know the film ha- portrays um, the white, members of the community in a, in a negative light as the villains. Cause you know, you have one particular girl where her parents are, are probably like the worst parents of the bunch. Um, yeah. They're, they're verbally abusive. They they're abusive in terms of like not taking care of her. Sometimes the mother leaves her places for hours unattended. Um, but what I found interesting with, with even that portrayal is you see within this community as diverse as the community is, there's still a, a sense of systemic racism and a sense of hierarchy where, you know, this girl, Laura, her parents are probably like the, the worst in terms of their circumstances, but yet they both walk around with an air that they're better than the Filipino family or the indigenous family. You know, yes. Yes. There's, I there's, totally agree. Yeah. there's parents at this reading program that, you know, feel that at Christmas time, they should have Chris, the kids should be singing Christmas carols and whatnot, which is fine. If, you know, the school and the program was specifically a Christian program, but it's it's a non-denominational program. There's clearly people from different faiths backgrounds, so they may not necessarily be comfortable singing a Christmas song, but that's never taken into account, right? Like, it's, there's just this certain level of, we expect things this way, or the father is reluctant to be at that program because he's almost disgusted by that he has to be in the presence of all these people. And it's, so there's a, there's a really interesting layer that flows underneath and yet through all of that you still get the sense of hope through the kids like you know as much as they are experiencing hardship just the fact that they're kids and bonding with each other you you see how there is still hope 
You know, there's still people in the community that look out for one another, you know, try to do their best to, to help any way they can within the community. So I thought it was a really fascinating look. And I, again, the fact that you can handle such heavy topics and still have the audience walk away with their heart feeling full and hopefully is, is um, just a testament to the directors, um, Sasha Nakai and Rich Williamson. Like they, I think they just did a really wonderful job with this film. They did. Absolutely. I I totally agree with you. And I I would just add that, you know, in, in terms of some of the heavier scenes, I, um, I thought that they, they really handled things well in terms of um, tempering, any sort of tendency to go a little bit too far into into melodrama like they really showed a lot of skill and this this sort of control where we we are fully immersed in the moment in the situation as serious as it is but they don't let it tip into you know something saccharine or something too melodramatic like that that takes a lot of skill um so i i have to commend them for that as well and yeah, you know, the, the comments about the white characters, it's like, I'm sorry, but that's reality. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're there legitimate. There are people like that. <laughs> there are legitimate um, criticisms, and I, I know, and I can see that, but I, I looked at it as not, you know, they're not the villains per se. I looked at it more as it's, it's, it's fascinating that even in this circumstance, there's still an attitude of superiority when they're yeah, they shouldn't yeah. be. like the, the, the ones who are really hurting the most are the ones that aren't embracing the community. Absolutely. And, and connecting yeah, with the others. Yeah. yeah. Cause you have other families that are dealing with like, you know, undiagnosed autism, health issues, all these other things, but they're finding strength within the community. Whereas those who are also struggling, but kind of ignore the community are, even worse off, but they don't see that they're worse off. Like, it's just, yeah. it's a really fascinating um, exploration. Yeah, I, I think that was, that's a really good point. That's a really good point and a great point to end on. Um, sure. It doesn't help, it doesn't help my segue into the next film. No, no, go on, go on. We, we could find a way to, to tie it in. There's, no, but we actually, no, it, it does, it does fit because in the, the film that you want to talk about there, there is a sense of, of community, right? In the, in yes, the traveling. Well, yes, that's why that was going to be my segue <laughs> is, you know, for what I was saying about Scarborough in terms of the filmmakers creating this sort of intimate world that we could like, empathize and sympathize with and get into um nightmare alley which is a completely like completely on the other spectrum of things that, you know very much a genre film uh it's a film noir nightmare alley is guillermo del toro's film um it's uh it's sort of a loose remake of an old classic noir uh also called nightmare alley and i think there was a, a novel as well that i think that they're they're both pulled from i haven't i haven't read but I, I i think there's also a novel connection somewhere in there that makes sense that makes sense because a lot of noirs right a lot yeah. of the classic noirs like come from from novels as well and and nightmare alley um, we have uh, bradley cooper is basically the the main character and uh he's stanton carlisle uh someone who's down on his luck and basically wanders into uh, like a carnival circus kind of atmosphere. And, and it's a perfect 
if you know Del Toro, it's it's sort of like a perfect atmosphere for him because the, you know a carnival is is a place where misfits from society uh, find themselves. They they are drawn to it. They you know, and that's where people work. They find a living. They find a community. They create a community. And this is kind of a different kind of community. Um, there are poignant there are poignant things about this community, but there's also you know, you got to watch yourself a bit. And in any noir, you have to watch yourself. Noirs are sort of like the darker side of the world. Like it, when they were in their heyday in the, in the 40s and 50s, you had like classic Hollywood cinema in which, you know, there everything was wholesome and, and nice. And even in dramas, things sort of never got too heavy. Whereas the noir sort of, did the, you know, filmmakers, they just, went into the opposite and they explored the darkest recesses of people's psyches and the darkest recesses of society. Um, and so that's what you get in this film, especially with Stanton Carlisle. And so he comes across, uh, you know, there's some characters in here, but, but also like women play a, a really significant part in his life um, because the first person that he sort of connects with is this clairvoyant named Zena. Um, and then he sort of seems to fall for this like completely virtuous uh, woman in the carnival named Molly. Um, and then in the end, sort of, not sort of, in the end, uh, partners up with this very mysterious character played brilliantly by Kate Blanchett. Um, she's a psychiatrist. and. You don't know her motives. And that that's also pretty classic uh, for a noir. Um, the noirs tended to be very dark and shadowy and, and really gorgeous in a way, gorgeous to look to look at. And this being Del Toro, he's got like all the the, the sort of things at his disposal. You know, he's got a great cinematographer, he's got all this money. And so this is like an amazing film to look at. Um, and and just uh, just in terms of this world, um, it, I just found it the way that he handled this world. He made it like dreamlike and murky and shadowy, which was like enticing in a weird kind of way. Um, but also I found it, it it's the film is more like a, a typical and even more it purely distills. If that that makes any sense, it like seems to perfectly distill the, the noir sensibility. In, in the way that it, it may not be like to every, everyone's cup of tea in terms of noirs because it's like a little slower. But if you love the genre, which I do, like I just fell into this world um, and I was completely, completely, utterly immersed. Um, and I felt like it created this, like the other thing noir and especially the original of Nightmare Alley, it's it's like very much dependent on this idea of fatalism, like characters make their own fate um, or there is sort of like a destiny that is attached to certain people and how it plays out. And that because of the way Del Toro handles the film and the filmmaking and, you know, like I said, um, the noirish elements, he really like drives that home so that by the time I, you know, it got to like the very last shot 
it really hit me and like it just was like a gut punch you know yeah it's, I, I just really enjoyed it it's so brilliant yeah I'm, i i i love this film it was uh a, tr- a treat to watch it and similar to how you were talking about the you know characters choosing your own fate it's it's definitely one of those films where because of stanton's ambitions and his ultimate greed you know he starts off kind of helping out at the carnival then he gets his hand on this book which teaches him how to do this um ruse where you can pretend that you're being able to read someone's mind and it's got all the tells and whatnot he then takes basically literally steals that book and uses it to his own personal gain and then instead of just kind of resting at a certain level he decides to push further and starts to get into some questionable activity and still keeps pushing further and you're just waiting for the the house of cards to to crumble because you know with him and his his greed it's it's going to crumble at some point and how it does is just quite spectacular and this being a del toro film it's just visually great like there's you know there's a lot of different type of monsters in this film um you know some in little jars just in terms of (laughs) the form but but this time instead of like grand creatures and stuff you it's really just how man can be the worst of all monsters which is the theme that runs in all of his films yeah. which you see like the greed of man is just it, it knows no bounds and it's it's going to continually cause problems for for everyone um and it's i don't know it's just a really fun film i i've heard that they i guess in some theaters released a black and white version and i'd be interested to see that as well yeah. but, the, the, but the colored version is is great to look at as, as well like i just yeah the colors and that like the palette the color mm. palette of everything it's like it's so it's so enti- yeah i can't stop using the word enticing yeah. no no but it's a good it's a good word because it, 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 it really it draws you in you know it's it's got a, a classic feel to it but there's also a, a griminess to the yes. the brown and yellow light like it's just you know it's it's one of those where even when it is appearing to be posh you still feel the seediness of, of of the world so yeah i think it's a really um enjoyable film and i'm i'm glad that it's kind of getting more notice now because of the awards um i felt like when it got released it was a little underloved by some yes. i think people are now starting to look back i mean you even had scorsese singing his praise and once scorsese sings the praise of a film people are even those that don't like it are willing to go back and give it a, a second look so it's yeah, uh, yeah i'm glad it's picking up the, the momentum yeah from the oscars yeah the oscar nominations yeah mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm glad it got the oscar nominations because yeah as you say totally deserves it and i mean what a great what a great film if you're going to go back to the cinema th- this is the one <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um i will talk about one that kind of like nightmare alley i don't think got an, enough love um i guess in its initial when it comes to like the awards run but it is coming out in theaters this week so you will have a chance to see it and it's cyrano um the the latest film by joe wright uh, you might remember that joe wright did i think atonement uh which was a really um great period piece well he's taken the the classic um tale cyrano and bringing again a, another beautiful period piece, and in this um, version you have Peter Dinklage playing Cyrano, and he is 
in love with his good friend Roxanne, but can't find it in him to really express his feelings. And it just so happens that Roxanne falls for a man that she's never spoken to. Um, and that is a man by the name of Christian. So you've got that bit of a love triangle occurring. And then through circumstances, Roxanne is also being courted by this evil Duke who's played wonderfully by Ben Mendelssohn in all his evil glory. So <laughs> Cyrano basically tries to uses Christian as a mouthpiece while in doing so, bringing Christian and Roxanne closer together. So he's giving all the, the words of love, what have you, and kind of torn between helping Christian along while also dealing with his own repressed feelings. And then they're all trying to outwit the Duke. Uh, what makes this version of Cyrano so captivating outside of the visuals is it's also a musical. Um, so you got a lot of really great musical numbers. Um, there was times where at least one or two songs kind of had almost like a Hamilton vibe. So if you, if you like just that type of style of musical, it's there again, that's only for a couple of songs. Those who like the more traditional musicals, they've also got that for you as well. So it's a good um, mix of tunes, but Peter Dinklage is just fantastic in, in this film. And I, I felt had this film got a little more recognition had maybe played a more, some more festivals or which is better promoted. You know, he would have probably got a best picture or not best picture on um, best actor nomination. And I, I know we, we don't judge films based off of awards, but if there's ever a performance where you watch it go, Oh man, that guy deserves an award. It's, it's this one. And I, I'm a little upset that I think people will see his performance way too late, but he's, he's um, really good in it. And I will say that the film does run a tad long. Um, you know, I think it's like two and a half hours when it could have easily just been a, a good two hours, but still, I think Cyrano is well worth your time. Um, if you want a little bit of a love story with some great visuals, it's it's definitely a uh, thing. And there's one particular musical number where Cyrano's not even in it. It's just a bunch of supporting characters, but it's so good. It's <laughs> it, it's it's set, you know, uh, with this pending war, and it's uh, you know, it's essentially these men are singing their goodbyes to their loved ones um, as if they're like writing letters and it's just it's such a powerful moment that it's worth it just seeing it for that alone but um, again I, I really like Cyrano I, I just hope more people see it and I will end off uh, keeping on that whole musical theme with a, a documentary that you'll be able to watch on Prime this week I think it drops on Prime on February 25th and it's called Charlie XCX Alone Together. Um, so this is a documentary that was essentially shot by the most part by Charlie XCX, who's a pop singer. She's um, worked with Taylor Swift and Lizzo. Um, I think she had three albums prior and she was in 2020 or 2019 about to embark on her first kind of headlining tour. And then the pandemic hit. And it forced everyone into to isolation. And considering she's the type of individual that is never quite happy with her art and always feels the need to create, she decided that she was going to record an album while in quarantine, um, while we were all in quarantine, uh, within a, a span of five weeks. 
and she was going to document it all everything from her working on the lyrics her getting um, music from producers via email the zoom conversations and then also she was recording this and sharing it with her fans as well so it's this documentary kind of covers that entire process and it's it runs i think 67 minutes so it's a really compact documentary but i thought it actually worked quite well because it showed not only how music can bring people together um, especially in times when we were all physically apart but it also shows how the creative process can be a bit of a gift and a curse um, for for charlie xcx it's something that helps her to express herself um, it helps her to connect with fans, but also she's the type of person that judges her worth by her art and how people interpret it, which is also a really tough way to live life because we all get in our own heads about yeah. the, the art that we we do and always worried about what other people think of your art is um, draining as well. So within a pandemic, you've got that other layer as well so it's it's quite fascinating you see everything from her compiling it you get footage from the fans who've also been kind of recording themselves in quarantine so that's interjected so you see how her music especially with those in the lgbtq plus community um was you know a source of healing and how they're literally formed this community while they were all apart and kind of grew stronger for that and you're seeing her make music videos in her house with like a green screen and just her boyfriend operating the camera. And um, so it's, it's just a really fascinating film. I, I wasn't expecting too much from it. Cause I, I knew of Charlie XCX, but I wasn't a big fan, but by the end of it, I was like, okay, I, I understand. <laughs> I understand it now. Like I, I I'm going to go listen to that album that she made. Cause the, the music that they were playing, I miss it was, you know, catchy. Uh, but just the the drive and how this project nearly destroyed her because she put her, you know, she was the one that decided the five weeks and then the pressure that she put on herself to achieve that and the type of music that was produced from it. It's just, it's a, a fascinating film. So um, Charlie XCX Alone Together will be on Amazon Prime as of Friday. Amazing. That's great. Okay. So some options if you want to go out and an option if you want to stay, stay in, in stream. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's a lot, I think, that we've covered. Keep people busy, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of good stuff for, for everyone to check out. So for Courtney Small and myself, I'm going to say that's it for Frameline. Thanks for listening. <laughs>